I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. It's a real pleasure for me to have as my guest today the unstoppable Julian Lloyd Webber. Well, Julian comes from a dynasty of musicians and is, in my mind, a national treasure. He's tirelessly worked towards the importance of music education, and although now retired from his high-flying international career as a concert solo cellist, he's always put music education at the heart of all he does, so much so that for the past five years he's been the principal of the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire. So let's get listening. Julian, you've given me a wonderful tour of the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire. I mean, it's quite a building. The facilities here are extraordinary. And we're actually sitting in one of six studios or seven studios? Seven studios. I mean, I think we were fortunate in a way in that, you know, we knew that we had to go to a new building because the old building was actually subject in the end of a compulsory purchase order Mm. because they were redeveloping that area of Birmingham. Mm. In fact, there doesn't seem to be an area of Birmingham which is not redeveloped. Mm. Um, So we always, uh, the uh, university um, knew that we had to move. And so we were in a position, and I think they took a very brave decision at that time, because they could have made the conservatoire a much less important part of the university, but instead they decided to really invest in a purpose-built 21st century mm. conservatoire, which costs £57 million, pounds, hmm. a lot of money. Mm. Um, and it's built on, on the east side of the city, just where HS2 comes in, if it ever comes yes, anywhere. Yes, of course. Um, which, of course, by the time this comes up, we might actually know. Um, <laughs> but uh, so it, we had the opportunity, really, to build something that was designed for the 21st century yeah, um, yeah. with recording studios, we've got a jazz club, mm. we've got an organ studio, we've got two really state-of-the-art concert halls. Oh, they're beautiful. Um, I mean. Where you can change things very easily, the acoustics, just by b- pressing a button, bringing blinds, acoustic blinds down, yes, that sort of thing. Yes, yes. Um, th- I mean, even practical things like decent-sized lifts, you know, yes. elevators. Yeah, you know, all of that, all where of we had to think of getting huge Steinways into lifts and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, but we had, you know, um, we weren't built 150 years ago so it was we were able to design it for the 21st century absolutely and I mean the role of being principal here is very different to you know what you had spent so many years doing was being one of the leading concert cello soloists really and I mean how has that played a part in in your role now has that been of benefit do you think do you think think students really can you know, relate to, to I you. I think it's been a huge benefit. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the, the background to this was that I, I had what I think was a, um, a faulty cortisone injection, which actually weakened some tendons and muscles. So mm. I lost power in my bowing arm to the extent that really I, could, I couldn't play a, mm. any kind of concerto, you mm. know, so, and, and I wasn't prepared to just sort of go around playing the swan forever. Yeah. And, and I want, was looking for a challenge. And mm. I'd always been, as as you know very well, um, we have been in, together involved with music education and set up that music education consortium with, with Jimmy know. Galway. And, yeah. Yep. And uh, so that was a help because I did have one foot in that music education camp. Yes. So when I saw this job of principal 
at the then Birmingham Conservatoire, not Royal Birmingham Conservatoire at that point, um, advertised, I really went for that. And mm. it was the first and remains to this day the only interview I'd done in my life, and I was really nervous. Um, and huge numbers of people there from the <laughs> university and all over and staff here um, asking me very searching questions about something I'd actually never done before. That's amazing. Um, so I really, I wouldn't say bluffed my way through, but I gave it a really good go and, and said, look, I said to them, look, I really want this job and mm. I think I can make a big difference here. And I mean, you mentioned the consortium that we uh, established with, as you say, Sir, Sir James Galway and the late Michael Kamen right. as well. That was back in 2003, yes. I think. And then in 2007, um, we managed to persuade the government to plough something like 323 million actually, or something into yeah, music. And it was ring-fenced, wasn't it, for music education? Absolutely. And, uh, but and people forget that, really. It came under Gordon Brown's time. Yes, yes and, that's um, right, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, the meetings we had with David Miliband. And, yes, all that and stuff. Charles it, Clark, do you remember That's right, him? Charles yes. Clark, yes. But, I mean, I remember, you know, even then, I mean, you were very much a driver of this, you know, the, the passion and just... Well, the, I, I think that we, you know, all of us believe that children should, of, from any background, should have access to music it's a it's mm. a huge thing in people's lives mm. um and it, it can be a lifesaver for a life changer for people mm. very much for the better and not all children are good at, at maths and mm. languages people are, have different skills mm. and what frustrates me sometimes is people say oh well you know you can't really make a living out of music i mean that's such an old-fashioned way of looking at it because mm. i think the music alone brings in four billion pounds oh, to yeah. the UK economy. Yeah, yeah. So it, it you can make you a good existence out of music. Mm. And it's something that's so satisfying and and something that people love being involved with. Absolutely. So I, mean, I I just think that that option should be available to every child. Yes, I, I agree. And I mean someone said to me the other day that, you know, we're all creative. Yeah. Y you know, we are naturally creative and I think what's interesting about the facilities here is is it well as you say you know there's a, a, a jazz club there's a, an organ room there yes wonderful we have a good mu very good music tech course but it, it means then that you know what a student might think is their um, route their musical route whether it's classical or otherwise but they because everything is so accessible that they can actually delve into many things that perhaps they hadn't considered before yeah i mean another thing that, that we haven't mentioned is that when we moved to the new building we merged with the existing acting school and mm. i have said look you can't force things to happen they have to ha happen organically so the head of our jazz department jeremy price he discovered this play that had been done in new york in the late 50s i think called the connection mm. and it was all about jazz musicians and actually the drug scene in New York and jazz. Okay. So we we did this play here. It was quite dark, um, mm. but the jazz musicians not only play, they actually had to act. And oh, so you gosh. had actors working with the jazz musicians, helping them to learn. And it was an extraordinary collaboration, which mm. worked really well. Mm. I remember a, a project a few years ago whereby I was collaborating with Mark Brew, an Australian choreographer and 
uh, he asked me to play with with um, play percussion with his his group of dancers, but he wanted me to dance with the dancers as I was playing, right, and right. this was completely out yes. of my comfort zone. And I cannot tell you what a big appreciation I I I just I had of contemporary dance because it wasn't really my thing, as yes. it were, or I didn't think it was, but then just well, I think from that's, that moment... You know, that, that's the kind of thing we try to do here from the beginning, is stretch stretch people's imagination and what they think. I mean, with the music profession now, you have to come out being able to do lots of different things mm. and knowing about areas of music that perhaps when you went in, you didn't you didn't know about. That's, that's sure. what a conservatoire education for four years, you know... To me, that's what it has to be about. Mm, when absolutely. you first day you come in, you ought to be thinking about what happens on that last day when you walk out. You Indeed, know, you need yes. a job. Yes, and I think you know probably one of the things that has changed since perhaps you and I were students was actually preparing yourself for the business because yes. ultimately we're in a business, a music. Well, business. What I've said to the students and always say, and often. The my first, you know, when I make a speech on the first day to the new students, mm. say, look, it's no good shutting yourself away five hours a day uh, or six hours a day mm. practicing mm. and being the best player in the world if nobody knows about it. And that mm. final hour would be better spent to you really thinking mm. about your future and, and ways to do it. Mm. And a lot of our students have become very innovative now. They've set up websites and, and things and they're actually doing a lot of work before they leave. And so they don't just go cold into the profession. Sure. They've already built up a sort of portfolio of, of jobs and are, you know, known in, in the business already. Mm. And I suppose that, you know, social media and the internet in general, yes. where, you know, you can communicate with people, yes. um, has, has possibly helped in, yeah. in that I mean, way. It's a totally different world now it, than it when is. we started out. I mean, you, you know, you you mentioned um, the reason why you retired from playing the cello. I mean, your last concert, I think, was in 2014. That's right. How did that feel? I mean, what was going through? Well, in, in a funny way, it couldn't have been in a more fitting place for me because it was in Malvern. And, oh. of course, I'd always, with the EC, English Chamber Orchestra, and I'd always loved you know, Elgar's music and been associated with it. So, mm. um, and I, it was a, I was conducting and playing. Mm. Um, and it was a program based around British music. So, uh, but I, I still didn't, it was a very strange, very strange evening. Absolutely. And me. I mean, do you still play the cello? I mean, for yourself? Not really. No. Um, no. I, I did for a bit. And then I thought, well, it's not as good as it used to be. Why am I doing this? I'm not. I'm not going to be able to come back. Mm. Um, so I, I didn't really find it that pleasurable. But no. the wonderful thing in my work now is that I'm surrounded by music all the time with these really great young students, and and so and I teach about five cellists here. Ah. Um, not not full numbers of hours, but I do, and so I'm still very connected with the music. Absolutely. That's amazing, actually, that, that, I mean, I can't imagine many principals of institutions like this, you know, who devote their time 
you know, teaching. I I, w- I, I don't know um, uh, the answer to that, but um, I certainly enjoy doing that. So it's an important part of, of work, I think. Absolutely. I mean, do you, is there anything that you particularly miss by not playing the cello? It's the connection. The things that you're glad to be oh, kind of... <laughs> well, I tell you, I'm, one thing I'm really glad is not travelling with it. Uh-huh. I mean, that as oh. it's, an, uh, it's getting worse and worse and worse, but yeah. every time... I travelled by plane. There was something wrong. Even yeah. if you had seats for the cello, everything there was, there, there always something wrong with the booking. Yes. Never stand behind a cellist at the check-in desk. <laughs> you, you're going to miss your flight. You know. <laughs> um, but I, I think the biggest thing I miss is a sort of musical connection with an audience. Um, that's always a, as you know so well, a very special thing. Always different everywhere you go. Mm. Um, when you walk on that stage and make music, it, it's a, a joint experience, really, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I miss that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, I, I often think what life might be like if you if you had to stop playing an instrument. And I find that in my own situation, that I'm beginning to shed certain pieces of music, mm. and but from that, you're allowing time for other things to grow. And it isn't just a case of well, you just stop doing something. That it's amazing mm. how how creative the you mind can go still in is. Different ways. I mean, I know I would have gone on. Um, I think for as long as I felt I was, you know, able to play at, at a certain standard, mm. um, I would have gone on. But maybe um, things are meant to be. You know, yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I would never have done this. Sure. Um, yeah. And it's interesting seeing that. You know, our f- colleague and friend Tasman Little has actually made a decision That's to retire right. early, and I've spoken a lot to her about that. And, ah. You know, she seems very confident about the future mm. and feels that she—it's time to do something different. I mean, we both know how full on the music profession is, it is. and I think the only way we can cope with it sometimes and all the travelling and everything is because we love it so much. Mm. Um, but it is a tough life. Much harder than people think, I think, on the road all the time. Yes, I, th- I think that is true. And, and meanwhile, you have to present your best often all at the, the time. end of the day. Yes, you know, always. And, and it, it is interesting. I mean, that was a f- strange thing for me because I used to... Cons- I, you probably found that you were sort of m- most awake at seven and eight in the <laughs> evening when you... Yeah. Had a, and that completely changed for me. Ah. It's like you aim towards... That you, the adrenaline is there at yes, all yes. the wrong times, really. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's so. funny because I remember reading or, or seeing something about sports people where, you know, some people function well in the morning or yes. afternoon or evening or whatever it is, and it can just make that difference between yes. winning or losing. I'm sure. In, in certain situations. But, yes. but yeah, you no, know, really, really interesting. And I mean, you mentioned the, the whole idea of. Um, being a principal of a major institution like this, how how big a learning curve it's been. I mean, has there been any surprises for you? Yes, um, quite a lot. <laughs> um, but probably the, the biggest one, because we are part of a university and we're actually the only um, conservatoire that's part of a of a university in the UK, which has its um, its pluses and its big difficulty at the moment is that we lost our specialist institution funding Mm. which all the other conservatoires get um 
which I obviously think is wrong. We were a founder member of Conservative Arts UK. We um, are totally, anyone who comes here uh, will know that we are offering a complete conservatory education. And interestingly, which is something I sort of in, really took on board only last week, we, we teach the students from the other university, the University of Birmingham, over 2,500 hours a year because we have facilities here that they haven't got. Mm. So to think that we are just a department of a university is completely wrong. Sure. And of course, these people who made the decision to take our funding away, they've never been here, they've never seen it. Mm. Um, mm. So they don't really know. That's and I think they're hiding behind a rule. And I think mm. the whole thing is too London-centric. Um, mm. Here we are in the West Midlands, the only um, music college for miles around um, doing a lot of outreach work, reaching 5,000 children in the area. Mm. Um, and we get nothing, and the London four London colleges between them are getting over £16 million. Pounds. That's extraordinary. So I feel very strongly about that because we have created something very special here, and I don't want to see it um, fall away through lack of funding. Absolutely, and it, it just seems a constant, constant thing. It's a funding, funding, funding yes. all of the time. Yes, you know, when it we does talked about the consortium and and yes. well when i first met uh, saw stephen maddock here who runs the cbso he he's been here i think about 15 years maybe even longer than that and he said when he first took the job of managing director about five percent of his time was fundraising and now it's literally 95 percent because there have been so many cuts Yes. It is yes. consuming. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean I can I can relate to that because an awful lot of the projects that you know I'm currently involved with at the moment honestly the meetings yeah. that <laughs> we have to to go through and talk about funding yes. you know and, yes, and I'm, meanwhile I'm sure. all you want to do is to create something that has a, a, a you know <laughs> that makes a difference yes. I suppose but I mean it's interesting though you know with the consortium back in the 2000s and your principal here um, at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire, but yet you still are involved with so many other schemes that, you know, helps youngsters um, come in contact with music. You've got the you started the In Harmony yes. scheme. I mean, this is this is very interesting. And it is interesting because it's actually survived already quite a lot of you know, regime changes mm. um, in that it was started under the Labour government and it is still continuing. Mm. So um, I think that's about four changes of government and, and it's it, it has been a proven success mm. and it's changed those children's lives. Mm, absolutely. Um, just a, a, a little question I have. You know, has your listening of music in general um, and also to the cello, has that changed since you've retired from playing has anything you know it's you know from being the participator of, of a, the sound to a very clever question yeah. um, <laughs> yes it it has probably i i have to say that you know i find it quite difficult to go to concerts with cello concerts mm. um Whereas I didn't when I was doing them myself ah oh, that's interesting but, but when i and i was always interested to hear colleagues and in performance really mm. interesting but now that i can't do it yeah. i do find it sometimes quite painful to oh, that's interesting to, you know just because i would love to do it and yeah. of course when i'm here all the time i don't think about that mm. but if you're actually sitting in a concert with somebody playing the elgar mm. to me yeah i yeah. find that quite hard 
Oh, that's very interesting. I think I have possibly the opposite feeling. Where really? If I see someone playing a percussion concerto or, or recital, I obviously enjoy that, but I always feel I'm looking at it from a percussionist point of view, yes. from the musician's point of view, I from the sound creator's point right. of view, and I can't kind of sit still. No, I know. I <laughs> Whereas know. I think it's if difficult. I had stopped playing, I would just say, yeah, that's wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes you do that we're so involved with music all the time that I don't actually go home and listen to a lot of classical music. Mm. I don't listen to a lot of music at all, full stop. I, I, mm. I, when you're surrounded by it all the time, I think it's yeah. good to, to step away a bit. That's true. Keep what, it fresh. What, what do you do when you step away? Um, oh, I love countryside. I, li- I love reading. I love my football. I'm ah. a Lake Orient supporter. Don't get to oh, see which, which team? Leighton Orient. Oh! East London. Uh-huh, yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we have a lot of ups and a lot more downs. <laughs> has this been a lifetime? It has, really. Kind of, Since uh, I was about 11. Ooh. And uh, my family um, were huge friends with the pianist John Dill's family. Ah. And he came from Leighton. And they I used see. to get together on Saturday afternoons. And I, I used to get bored <laughs> with the adult conversation. <laughs> and I took myself off to see Leighton Orient and oh, was hooked. Wow, interesting. Do you play? Or have you played football? I used to I mean, enjoy it at school and then, yeah. you know, got all neurotic about breaking fingers and things and yes. so didn't do that. I mean, has your, or do you notice anything physically changed since you retired from playing? You know, I know that if I'm, if I haven't played, let's say, the marimba for a while, then there are certain lumps and bumps that percussion Certainly if I, if I now tried to pick up the cello, having not done it really for four years, I would definitely... Would. The only time I, I do is if I am teaching and somebody's doing something that frustrates me so much, <laughs> I say, listen, you, know, you, you have to do it this way yep, because yep. it's not working, you know. No, and then I do. And yeah, I'm yeah. embarrassed at how badly I demonstrate. <laughs> And when when you were you know traveling throughout the world, was was there a, a particular medium of performance you enjoyed more than than others, such as recitals, concertos, chamber music, recording, or did you like I the think whole challenge? There's nothing more exciting in the whole world if you're sitting with a full symphony orchestra and it's going really well. <laughs> but uh, I think it's easier to be prepared how you want to be say you're doing a recital with a pianist and you can do as much rehearsal as you like mm. and, and go on stage fully prepared and, and, and musically ready to take some risks and do different things whereas rehearsals with orchestra often tend to be rushed, hurried you just play the concerto through, that's it so sometimes it, it's not as well prepared as, for the public as you would like it to be, mm. that's how I used to feel um, but when it does work it's something an amazing feeling I think. yeah absolutely and i mean many years ago you and i collaborated we, yes. we, we toured together we did and uh vivaldi two cello concerto for marimba and, marimba and cello i know how i was, loved it well did you i was going yes, to say how was that for you stealing one of the cello parts <laughs> no I, I loved it i, I thought it, it was fun it was it, and it actually worked it did work actually it did work it that was with Owen Arbel Hughes, wasn't it? And the, the Nor- was it Northern, Northern Symphonia? Yeah. That's right. Long time ago. Oh but we went all over the place. Didn't we, we did. Yeah. We did. I did enjoy that. So for you, how important is it to listen to your inner voice and feelings? I think it's vital. I mean, there's no hesitation to answer that. Uh, 
you you have to do what what you feel is is right not only for yourself but for for your life for the people around you and mm. that applies particularly i think running a conservatoire but yes. you know um i think you have to trust your instinct mm. i mean it's the the reason i asked that is because you know the the distractions we can have with the internet and and oh, yeah. you know comparing so many other performances and performers and that sometimes i i find that if i'm working with students that it, it's hard actually for them to have faith in their inner voice in their the, I think their with, gut with feeling the media that's available all the time today you can be completely sort of overwhelmed by it um i remember being um well, not terrified, but really concerned when somebody said, "I must have a, I must go on Twitter." And I thought, but I haven't got time to do this. And then so I was convinced that it, it can be quite enjoyable. Mm, um, mm. But I mean, you can could spend your life doing those things, and Absolutely. I think there's more important things to do than that. <laughs> that. That's true. Now, if you were allowed to be exposed to only one piece of music, mm. what might that be? Oh dear. I, I, know, I know, <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I might go for a Shostakovich symphony. Ooh. Something like number 10, a great masterpiece like that, or ah. number 8, which is a long wartime symphony filled with the most immense imagination. Something that actually could keep me listening for a long time. That's amazing. And if you could live your life again, would you choose the cello, another instrument, or do another profession completely? Um, well, if I was chose to do music, I definitely would choose the cello. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a great instrument, much more versatile than than a lot of people think. Um, and yes, I, I would do that again. So no, I have no regrets. Mm. And even uh, I'm sad to have had to stop playing when I did. But I, I think the way uh, things have turned out, luckily in some ways, was I might never have got this this job. Um, but uh, it, I've lived an f- extremely fulfilling life. Mm. And I mean, I think that, you know, cello, well, I know that if I if I had another chance at life, then the cello would be my really? instrument. Oh, I've always loved the cello. And I, I'm so happy that the cello seems to be in good hands still. Well, it is. We've got and some I, wonderful I, young cellists. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I, I can't, can't really echo that and say I'd be a percussionist. No. <laughs> I, I did play the bass drum once in the junior department orchestra Haydn's military symphony Ooh. it was rather fun well done you smashing that thing well Loved done it. you <laughs> and on that note you went on, uh, you, you busked on the underground I did so how on earth did that come about um, because I, w- it, oh, I know how it came about the London uh, transport for London <laughs> whatever it was called is called um, decided that they should have official Buskers, uh-huh. um, instead of you know, was anyone was going down the tube and sort of and it <laughs> going was down quite the tube, bad. quite yeah, literally, yep. yeah. And it, it was often quite um, a, a sort of perilous journey to take on the underground because you'd be assaulted by things down different tunnels and things. Um, and they decided that buskers should have a license, and I launched that scheme. Amazing! Can it was I ask quite which, which underground? Or yeah, was Westminster it? Station. Um, the, as you go down to the Jubilee line, all the, and I and then for a bit I was on one of the platforms. Oh wow! Which didn't work so well because well, all the, the trains were in the way. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I think we should play experience. the bass drum together. That would be fun. Let's do that. Yes. That's a date. Okay. <laughs>
We'll arrange the Vivaldi two shirts for one bass drum. <laughs> oh, dear. What's the best piece of advice you were given and what piece of advice would you give to a student today? Yeah, well, actually, the, my very first day at, at the Royal College, I bumped into a former teacher of mine at, at their old junior department and she said to me that on that first day, she said, you know, you've only got four, four years at the most here. In those mm. days, I think you could finish the course in three. But she said, just don't waste a second of your time. She said, this is oh. the only time you'll have where you're not worried about making money and, and just mm. really work. Don't waste a second of your time. Mm. And I never forgot that. That's a very, very good piece of advice. I mean, that's relevant to us all, yes. no matter what and stage we're at. And I do sometimes trot that one out um, yeah, to yeah. the freshers. Yeah. That's a good one to frame, actually. And just, you know, thinking about listening again, because obviously you are and have been really for, for all of your life been in a profession that whereby listening is at the forefront. And mm. I suppose listening as the principal of an institution is quite different to listening as a musician and executing an instrument. But how has that changed? What's the difference between listening and hearing for you? Well, of course... There's listening to music, um, which I think in some ways doesn't change because I think with an instrument perhaps like the cello, you can really train yourself on intonation and and mm. how that works. And say you play in a string quartet, how if you play a sharp, sharp, how that affects the other instrument. So you, you can mm. really train your ears on detail like that. But then, of course, listening to people... Mm and what they need, what they want, and their concerns is something that perhaps you wouldn't have to do so much as a player. Yeah. But as a principal of a conservatoire, you absolutely have to do that, or you should do that. And um, so it's a kind of completely different kind of listening. Yes. But maybe it does overlap because there's tones, the way people speak, the mm. way... And I mean, when you um, very kindly gave me a tour of the building here, I mean, you... You mentioned that, well, you, you have to listen to the students. You know, you, we're catering for the students and yeah. really recognising, you know, what, what their needs are. What I always encourage them to be completely honest, speak their minds. Mm. Uh, we have a very good sort of system, I think, with the student representatives. They come to our management meetings mm. um, and present to us any concerns. And um, I, I think it's something that, sometimes gets forgotten is that we are all here at a place like this entirely because of the students yeah yeah and what excites you in your role as a principal well when i come and hear you know for example the symphony orchestra playing incredible pieces like the suskis concerto for orchestra you know really really complex works brilliantly that's incredibly exciting mm -hmm. really rewarding mm. um and those are the Probably the student concerts are the thing, ones I most enjoy now. Absolutely. Do you feel that there is a right or a wrong use of sound? Yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of wrong uses of sound I can think of. Is that, you know, background music, for example. Everybody thinks musicians would like to hear music where they go. Um, so background music in restaurants pubs, um, coffee bars can drive me completely insane mm. because I think and the, the reason is because 
we're musicians, we actually listen to it, where, <laughs> whereas most people don't. It really is background. But I think it's very difficult when you're working with music all the time. You, tra- you, you, you naturally start listening. So mm. when Christmas comes around, and November or end of October time nowadays, and they start playing Have Yourself a Little, little Merry Little Christmas, you, know, you just know that um, <laughs> you're in for two months of torture. <laughs> But so I mean, that's a bad what, use of sound. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what, what I've found fascinating being here at the Conservatoire is that, um, you know, when we've gone into a particular space, you know, a lot of the rooms have double doors. Mm. And you mentioned that it's absolutely silent absolutely in this silent. space and so on. Or when we went to the jazz club, yes. you know, downstairs, that you have a little seating area with tables and people can have a drink and so on. And it's the atmosphere that changes sound if you know what I mean and how we digest sound it's and a, that's yes. what I find interesting I mean, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing um, acoustics and the, sound, the actual basic sound of a hall and mm. what I've noticed with our hall here I was at an orchestral concert the other night it was a heavy programme um, Strauss Oboe Concerto um, and uh, Strauss Don Juan and uh, difficult music mm. um and it was full. So there was probably nearly 500 people in there. And still, when you went in that room or hall, it was silent like it is in here. Mm. And because of that, I think that creates an atmosphere where nobody will cough. And the whole concert was incredibly silent. <laughs> um, mm. I think if you go into a hall like, say, the, the Royal Albert Hall, there's a kind of noise level. Oh, yes. And yes. that encourages more noise. I'm very it doesn't aware, encourage yes. people to sit quiet. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of concert halls are like that. Mm. And I suppose it's the same with outdoor venues, you know, where oh, you're that's competing yeah. with the, the elements, that's, as that's it were, really and, difficult. and people moving, which is, yes. is great. So the atmosphere yes. is very different. They're totally different. It's very different. It, 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 yeah. yeah, it affects the sound. I mean, talking about sound, how do you think the sound of the cello will change in, let's say, 100 years' time? Or will it? Or the type of materials used? Or size? or I, I don't, don't think I don't think it will, because, you know, there's that sort of model of a cello which um, really came down with Stradivarius and all that, and people, it's acknowledged to be the best. Of course, people will experiment. You've got electric cellos now. Mm. Um, there's always... I, th- I think there's always a tendency to look for more sound. You know, mm. orchestras get louder, so therefore you have to play louder as a solo cellist. Mm. But then maybe things are changing, you know, because there have been court cases about sitting, you know, in yes. front of the, I wouldn't dare to say percussion, but it's say no. the, the trombones or something. <laughs> and Absolutely. They, you, you suddenly get, so now there have to be screens and things um, put around. So maybe that will reverse a bit mm. because constant uh, being subjected to constant loud noise is is you know can can damage hearing yeah it's it's interesting because a lot of the the orchestras now and indeed the the music institutions are allowing the students to have their hearing tested yes and know. we we do that now yeah. and we we issue earplugs um if people are in a, a small practice room for a long length of time, you know, mm. this, it's something people have become much more aware of. Mm, I think. Yeah. I mean, I find that even in my situation that 
I will only play for a short period if I'm practicing or, or rehearsing, you know, before I just give my body a chance to have yes. no sound being fed through it, you know. Yes. And it, it, it is quite interesting yes. that, really, really important. But um, I remember, uh, if I may just mention this story a few years ago, um, collaborating with a Polish cellist, Dominic Polinski, mm -hmm. and sadly Dominic passed away um, a couple of years ago. Um, he had brain cancer yeah, and it yeah. left his left side of his body paralyzed. Yeah. But once he became uh, well enough for a period of time, he started commissioning pieces. He had always been interested in contemporary music as well as the, the classics. And uh, and so he asked if I'd be interested in having a double concerto written by the Polish composer Olga Hans. Mm -hmm. Now, Dominic could not, or he could only use the bow arm, so his right arm, his right Course, hand. Yeah. And it was extraordinary how the composer, in this instance, Olga, you know, had to really think what Absolutely. you know what yeah. to write for yeah, and the course. kind of colors that dominic was able to so produce yeah approaching the composition from a completely different Absolutely way. and and i remember asking him well you know do you think other cellists could play this this repertoire and he said, technically, yes, absolutely, but no, as regards to the the, the finding of the sound color yes. that could only come from his body because of the because the, of the kind of restrictions in a way, yes. but yet the openness. Yes. He had to rethink what the bow arm could do, and yes. and I'm just wondering, you know, are you seeing, you know, surprises, advancements in? how cellists are approaching the instrument so technically physically you know is is repertoire being written that really you know drags something out of the instrument that you haven't seen before i think many many techniques have now been tried on the cello as it is uh, in its existing form mm. i'm always surprised given the difficulty of a cello really projecting above a hundred piece symphony orchestra you know always in Dvorak cello for example you're constantly keeping the, the, the brass down and all that in a way not doing what Dvorak has written in the score um, mm. so you, you're sort of altering his dynamics and everything so I'm surprised someone hasn't written a a really successful electric cello concerto ah interesting because yeah. It's probably something I would have tried to do or get commissioned or be interested in if, had I been able to continue. Mm. But I'm quite surprised nobody's done that because mm. you can now, uh, with electronics, create a really good cello sound electronically. Yeah. So yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't been done. Very interesting. And are you aware of the the student composers here at Birmingham writing for your instrument? I'm going to have to get... Oh, yes, they do. But mm. I, I, I must encourage that, an electric cello concerto. I think that's I a great to, idea. Yeah, that would be great. Just to finish, um, on a fun note, Julian, if you could choose five sounds to be on a desert island, which sounds would they be and why? Sounds. Sounds. Well, of course, you're surrounded by, presumably, some quite beautiful sounds. Mm. The sound of the sea. Um, the sound of the birds. Um, I'd have my cello CD with me, wouldn't I? Okay. I'm allowed that. Ah, but um, then you need a, a CD player. 
That's true. So you're on a desert island. Can't do that. No well. electric. Nothing working. <laughs> no, um, so all right, I can't all right. have that one. So we've got birds see. Um, no, well, I'd have to maybe I'd have to bring the cello. I'm allowed to do that. Exactly. So right. I could try and play a bit. I wouldn't want to lose that sound oh, in my life. Yeah. Um, I'd, I wonder what I, I need to create the sound of the crowd at Lake Orient. How am I going to do that? <laughs> Surely with internet now. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, what else? I don't know. A final one. Um, laughter would be good. Oh. The sound of my daughter. Oh, how lovely. How lovely. I that's, would certainly miss that. That's the greatest Some music of, of all, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Julian. I think Thank you deserve you. a nice piece of cake and a cup of tea. And I see that you brought one. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Julian. Right, double concerto, electric cello and percussion. Okay. Okay? Done. And we're on the London Underground. Okay. Oh, come on, yes. Will we get the (laughs) licence? Maybe not. (laughs) Oh, who knows? I'm sure we will. I'm sure we can persuade the the powers that be to do that. Yep, you're nodding. There we go. Thank you, Julian. (laughs) I would like to say a very special thank you to Audio Network for supporting my podcast. Thank you so much for listening and for making it this far. But before you go, I have a question for you. Which underground did Julian busk in? Well, please share your answers with me on Twitter using the hashtag the Evelyn Glennie podcast. See you in my next one.